Hello and welcome to Purple Pod, the Liberty Rep podcast, with me, Madeline, and me, Bronte. The Purple Pod dives into the ever-changing world of theatre headfirst, speaking with industry professionals and up-and-coming writers, directors and performers. We're looking to have a chat and transform your ideas about what a podcast about theatre can be. Our guest today is actor and activist Marvin Turay. Since graduating in 2017, Lamin has had a successful career across the film, television and theatre worlds, including working with playwright John Gobder on several projects and lending his talents to the short film I Can't Breathe, which won a Royal Television Award. In 2020, in light of the Black Lives Matter movement, Lamin and several of his peers released a public statement uncovering the events and instances of systemic racism faced by Black and Asian students at Alra North, the Wigan-based drama school. Lahman's activism has and continues to encourage those experiencing racism or any form of injustice to stand up against oppressive leaderships and systems. We are so honoured to have the opportunity to chat with him today. Welcome to the Purple Pod. Hello, how are you doing? Hello. What an intro. (laughs) What an introduction. I feel, I feel like everyone who has an intro, they get really awkward at first and they go, oh. Yeah, because everyone feels awkward about getting introduced, but then when you put all the amazing things that you've done in like one paragraph, you go, oh yeah, I've done loads of good stuff. Yeah. Great intro. <laughs> so first and foremost, I think congratulations are in order um, for being part of I Can't Breathe, um, a short film that you were involved in, which won a Royal Television Society Award for scripted work as part of the 2021 Student Awards. So could you start us off by saying like what that experience was like? Yeah, it was mad. I mean, I kind of, so Lionel, who wrote it uh, and stars in it and created the whole piece, when she messaged me on WhatsApp saying, oh, we've been nominated for an RTS, I kind of was instantly confident that it was good. I was like, wow, that's massive. That's a victory in itself. And then I was kind of like instantly kind of just, or maybe arrogantly confident that we were we were going to win because I just believed in the, in the product. Um, it was filmed back in July, literally on mobile phones. Um, it was all done remotely. They edited it professionally, and there was music and everything else added to it. But the words that she wrote were just so powerful. And then because it was filmed in the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, which obviously exploded um, last last summer, I think it was just a very visceral. Uh, truthful, honest piece. And I think everyone who played their part in it, like looking back on it can be really proud. And like I said, it was filmed on phones. Do you know what I mean? It was a, it was a project that Lionel created while still in her third year. In fact, she would have technically been in second year at the time. She's now in third year. So if it was July, she would have just come to the end of second year. And, you know, it's putting her into a brilliant position going into a very challenging industry and to create something, you know, I think last year, um, acting was one of the last things on my mind, actually, um, for lots of other re- for lots of different reasons. But when she came to me with this piece, I instantly was like, right, okay, I can I can combine my love for acting and my recent kind of activism or political stance or things in a piece of work. So that's great, um, and that's kind of the type of work. Or you know, everyone should want to be involved in in something that you connect with, something that you can tell, something that you can be truthful, something that you think is important um so it was a no-brainer to do it and then to win the rts was just an, an added um an added cherry on top of, a, of, a, of a, an amazing process so yeah it was great because it's it's fantastic and so did you kind of get the inkling that it was going to win do you think yeah like i said like, when she said it was nominated i thought wow this is she knows what she's doing you know like she must have i don't know if they approached her or she approached them but it got a good spread in the stage and lots of high profile actors and actors sharing it online and it was getting a good lot of traction so once it was nominated I kind of just got the England I thought you know what um timing is everything but also I just I feel like you know it's a strong piece it will win I just I just had that confidence in my head that will you know they'll read out our name when they do the the category when I watched it I was like go on I was just adamant just adamant and then when they did I was like yes so um yeah it was it was great it was a great little moment because, I mean, you've done some amazing work anyway, um, and this is just kind of the cherry on top of it. What kind of draws you to the projects that you get involved in? Because you've worked with John Gobder, the, the company, mm. you've worked for TV. What draws, you, draw, what draws you to it? And what do you look for in a project? I think, like, 
A, I'm just always grateful to just act anyway. If I get an opportunity to perform, then I'm up for it. But I also, I try not to be like desperate to the point where I'll do anything. I think it's really important that you're right for the role. I think it's really important that there's authenticity and there's truth. Um, I need to connect with either the piece or, well, yeah, the piece, actually. I have to connect with the piece and the character to, to do it. And I think, like, if I get auditions through, sometimes I'll just go because I've been told to, you know, I've been offered an audition. But then there's certain auditions you go for where you kind of think, wow, I'd love to do this. This would be a great project. You know, this would push me, this would challenge me. Um, so the majority of work I've done, and, and actually another thing I've always said is whatever's yours will never pass you by. And it's a bit cringe or a bit cliche, but I just believe it so much. Like whatever, if you go for a role, if you get it, it was for you. It, that, that was there for a reason and the timing of it and it, the universe put it in front of you and you took it with both, you took that opportunity with both hands at that time. Um, so I do massively believe in what shows will never pass you by. And if, if I don't get a job, I try not to get disheartened by it because I'm like, well, that was never my job in the first place. You know, I had the opportunity to audition, but it was never actually for me. Um, and the jobs I do get, I have. And I think the more jobs I've done, the more confident I get because I kind of look in the rehearsal room and I go, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. Like, you know, in the first read, you do the first read and stuff where people are a bit like, might be tense or whatever. I'm always just like, well, there's a reason everyone's here. And when you hear it out loud, you go, that's why. And everyone's right for those roles. And it's it's, that, it's having that confidence to back yourself because there is sometimes that um, impose, is it called imposter? Imposter, imposter yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get it all the time, so yeah. And, and that's just a little seed of doubt in your brain where you think, am I good enough? And I said it to my friend, but I was filming a Celtic. I said, you just, are we allowed to swear yeah. on this? Yeah. Yeah. I said, I said to her, I said, sometimes you just think you're shit, because I do. Like, I just think I am shit. What the hell am I doing? How have I even done anything type thing? And I think that is just those little seeds of doubt. And I think inactivity also. If you're inactive, if you're not working, then obviously no one's been working really in lockdown. I think it's, you know, there is there is rust. There will be stage rust. There will be acting rust full stop. But, you know, staying active is important. So, yeah, but I do, I'm a strong believer in what's yours and never pass you by. But, yeah, in, in term, to answer your original question, um, I just have to connect with the character and the piece and the project and want to do it. And say it's like an eight, uh, you know, an eight-week job, for example, Am I prepared to go and live in that area of the country and do that show with that theatre company for that amount of money to those types of audiences telling that type of story? If the answer is no, and I don't want to do all those things, then, you, you know, you shouldn't really be doing it. Um, but I've never done a job that I haven't loved. I've loved every single job. Amazing. Yeah, like, some of the work that you've done, like we were saying, is absolutely amazing. Like, working with John Godber, like, what was that experience like? Because... I, one of my biggest heroes, I have to say, is John Godbert. Um, I love all of his pieces. Um, so I'd just really love to know, like, what was that like? John Godbert and his whole family are just a bunch of legends. They're like family to me. I, I just get on with them all so, so well. I originally started, my first ever job with them was um, when I was fresh out of drama school. They cast me in the lead role of Wuthering Heights playing Heathcliff. Oh my god! And it was like a graduate project type thing. So they were trying to give um, graduates a first role in a, in a fake production, and I did it. And it was very challenging, really, really challenging. You know, first time out of drama school, I was still working with people who I trained with. So it kind of was a bit like, oh, this is you know, it, it was like a kind of a stepping stone into the industry, which was what it was designed for. And I played this this character, Heathcliff, you know, big tragedy, classical script, huge script, really challenging. We only had two weeks rehearsal, you know, no time at all. I was working before because it was in the summer, seven, summer 2017. So I was working at the time um, in a call centre job and the script came through and then I had like, maybe like a week before rehearsal started. And then we started and then before you know it, it we're, we're opening in front of 500 people at Theatre Royal Wakefield huge beautiful um classical theater so the nerves were just unbelievable i remember on the opening night i had all my family and friends my agent came down there was pressing it was just the nerves that i felt because I, at that point i didn't know if i could do it really you know i was still in drama school i knew i could act but it was a bit like can i do it at this level can i do it professionally type thing and i still had i definitely had that imposter syndrome then but i committed to it and got through that show and it was amazing i learned loads 
it got great reviews and great reactions from the audiences. And then a year or so later, after building up the CV, um, and, you know, building up the CV with other companies, I went back and auditioned for Bouncers. And that was kind of where it just changed everything for me because, you know, that I knew that play, obviously, when I was in school. It's like an iconic piece. It's one of the most performed plays in the country after Shakespeare. It's wow. like a classical piece. But I did have the um, the seed of doubt of, is it dated? Is it is it being there? Is it is it done? You know, has that been done? Was that thing that was in the 80s, 90s? You know, it won Olivier Awards and LA Critics Circle Awards and cleaned up at the fringe. And, you know, it toured every year for how many years? It was just, it was a social social phenomenon, <laughs> which is what they, they call it which it is. Um, so I, I was worried about whether it was um, dated, but I got the role and we were on a UK tour. And when we opened, we opened in front of 500 people, uh, again at Theatre Royal Wakefield, where it started, where he's got a real cult following. And it was just the maddest night of my life, career, everything. It was wild. My heart was racing for hours even after coming off stage because the reaction, we knew it was funny. It was, it's a funny play and it's got the little social commentary, but we we didn't know if it was you know you never really know with comedy if it's going to get laughs mm. or not and then that opening night I was the first person on stage and you have to do like a little routine and the whole house just erupted and I thought wow and then that was it and it's all timing and you, I learned so much on that job mm. and then I've worked with them again another job and it's just like I no matter what happens in my career um, I'll owe everything to to John Gobburn and the company and his wife and his daughters and, and you know, the whole family. So, it, yeah, I've unbelievable memories working with them and I've learned so, it, you know, that was my training really. Um, and I'm gutted that I've not really, you know, I've not been on stage for over a year, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm confident that the training I've had with them up and down the country in different theatres, working on bouncers, which is such a physical challenging play, as well as up and under and this is not right and Wuthering Heights, um, I just know that it will stand me in very good stead uh, and, and I can hold my own in any rehearsal room and that's thanks to, to John. Because it honestly does sound like the most magical, joyous experience, which obviously has given a lot to you. Um, and it's so nice to hear that, like, you described it as kind of like your training, which I thought was just so interesting. Um, so my question to you is, you know, what would like, how do I phrase this? so how do we go from like little you to like being at Theatre Royal Wakefield how did you get into performing and how did you decide acting was for you you know yeah so in school I wasn't academic whatsoever um I had I came out of school I think with two GCSEs I didn't get maths or English as far as the British education system is concerned I'm a failure you know, I've never seen myself like that. I've always had confidence, but and and this is for another day, another conversation. But I think the British, the British education system needs complete reform to serve all children. And when I did a Q and A, actually, I think it was in Harrogate, Harrogate Theatre. I just I said something along these lines to the kids who were in because there's a school in. I said, find what it is you like, find what it is you enjoy, and just take as far as you can. So I think originally the first little spark was probably year eight. I was really bad in year eight. I was on report card. I was just a little shit. And the only lessons that really engaged me were PE or drama. Um, and drama, I was like, I enjoyed it. And then in year nine, when you pick your GCSEs, I thought, I'll pick drama. And that was it, really. It just all changed. You know, my teachers at school, um, great, great teachers. They put so much trust in me. They gave me lots of confidence and encouragement. I got great grades. And, my, you know, I was getting, like, A stars and stuff. I was like, whoa, this is weird. I shouldn't be getting good grades. You know, because up to that point, I've just, just been the dumb kid in the bottom sets for everything. Um, so I kind of chewed it all throughout year 10 and 11. Um, I was that guy, do you know what I mean? I just loved acting. And then from 17, I kind of thought, right, I need to start, you know, branching. I did all the things, you know, I did youth theatre and stuff like that. But so I auditioned for MSA, Manchester School of Acting with Mark Hudson. And that changed everything, actually. That was a massive turning point. I, up to that point, I just worked off instinct. I enjoyed being on stage. I enjoyed being a joker. I enjoyed performing, whatever. But they taught me how to act. I'll always say that. Mark Hudson taught me how to act 100%. Um, I was 17, I auditioned. I was dead nervous. It felt like, oh, there's all this, you know, there's this big school in Manchester. There's all these uh, great alumni. Da, 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 da. And I auditioned, got in, had a great class. Um, 
think when I got in, I felt like, okay, right. So there's other people taking, you know, or backing, confirming, you know, it's confirmation, isn't it? Of, okay, I must be all right if I can get in there type thing. Um, and I just learned so much, you know, simple things like listening, responding, um, actions, all the real learning side of acting. That's where I did a lot of it. This was before drama school, you know, so I knew they just taught me just buckets and buckets. Of I mean, it's acting classes are really important. And I think actors should always go to classes. And I kind of, I'm a big believer in never going backwards. Like I don't, I, I'm a, I believe in full stops. So I don't know if I would ever go back, but I would definitely like to continue acting classes when, when the industry is back open, because it's just so important to stay fresh and they teach you so, so much. So yeah, I went to MSA, learned loads, uh, learned essentially everything about how complex it, acting can be and that you can't just go off instinct. So I was in like student mode. Then I auditioned for drama school, um, going the long way back around this story, going back to what I said before about what shows will never pass you by. I auditioned when I was 17 with a piece from Up and Under written by John Godber. Uh... Yeah. And five years later, I'm on a UK tour doing bouncers and he's offering me the role in Up and Under without even auditioning. Do you know what? It is, I believe in fate though, I do. And that is fate to me, 100%. It is, wow. So it's mad, it's like, I couldn't couldn't quite believe it when I was doing it, like professionally. I was on stage and and there's a speech um, that I auditioned with, I'm hearing it and I was like, oh my God, I did this, like to audition for Rada and Alder and da-da-da-da. So yeah, yeah, I auditioned to drama school, I only auditioned to two. Um, again, I think drama schools are very elitist. Um, I don't think they, I think there's a r- massive arrogance around like, oh, if you've not gone to drama school, you'll be shit or you need professional training, you don't. Mm-hmm. Like I said to you, I learned how to act at MSA, which is a part-time acting class where anyone can go. Um, and, um, drama schools are elitist. And yes, that training was important. Don't get me wrong. I, I learned from it, definitely. But there's nothing that I couldn't learn there that I couldn't learn outside of drama school, if you know what I mean. And very toxic environment um, and lots of young, young, impressionable minds. I think, don't get me wrong, I do have good memories from there as well, but I also have just like, wow, that was that was mad, three years type thing. Um, so I auditioned to there, got in at Aura, um, offered a full scholarship to go and train so again this is wow. more kind of confirmation of all oh, right it must be good it must be all right da, 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 da. um never really still at that stage saw myself as like the bee's knees i just knew i could do it and i enjoyed yeah. doing it so i wanted to go and you know pursue training and i think the only reason i went to go train was because well a i got in so i thought fuck it i might as well go um and I, like i said i was a real student back then um i'm really hungry really really determined to get to where i want to be and I just used to research other actors that I enjoyed or liked and saw whether they'd gone to drama school or not. Yeah. And some had, some hadn't. And the majority of the ones I enjoyed watching had. So I thought, right, well, I'll, I'll follow in their footsteps type of thing. Um, so, yeah, drama school, graduated 2017 and then started working um, for the past four, four years. Do you know, like, I really, really respect that you, you said then that you don't actually have to go to drama school. No. Um, I think that's something that isn't spoken about enough because not only when you don't get in, like that's, I'm speaking from my personal experience, do you feel completely squashed, completely like your confidence is destroyed from that? But I've also heard a lot of people have actually gone to drama school and not enjoyed the experience at all. Like you say, very elitist at times um, and young impressionable people maybe getting... Um, turned into the same type of actor you know you hear about um, things about people's accents you know are you really going to speak like that you won't really get many roles if you've got a northern accent and things and um, I'm not trying to to anyone who's listening I'm not slagging off the drama school system but I definitely do think there is work to be done in that system Maddie I'll slag off the drama school system for you (laughs) It's a load of bollocks, in my opinion. Honestly, like, it's so elitist. And, and this is someone who's come out of it and done well from drama school. I've profited it from it in terms of getting an agent, starting to work. I was working in my third year, so I can't come and, you know, I'm not a bitter actor. So I'm, I'm just coming from a real standpoint. From my experience of it, 
it's a very dangerous place and it, it needs lots of lots of reform you know even the simple things like blacks wearing blacks you know I yeah. used to rebel I'm bad with authority anyway in rules but I used to always wear a tracksuit I was like known for my tracksuits back in the day but it was just like why do we, why are you stripping people down you know if you want to come in and wear clothes that you know you feel like um, represent you or you feel comfortable in or you just want to express yourself in your fashion some people are fashionable I'm not really fashionable but if you want to express yourself in your clothes then do that you know the thing of wearing blacks is even that used to annoy me I used to rebel against that because I just thought it's not is that needed you mm-hmm. go into a professional rehearsal room you, no one's wearing black no black yeah, yeah. yeah you just wear what you want you wear what's comfortable to work in we're here to work we're here to learn we're not here to be stripped down and built down and built back up and all this nonsense and you have to ask yourself who are the people teaching in these drama schools what are their experiences have they been in the industry have they you know it's just a very toxic but and again I will if there are listen, you know people listening who want to go to drama school definitely won't say don't go find one that's right for you um ask the questions and just kind of just look after yourself because I think you know you put all your eggs in one basket and when you're young as well, in student mode, you just want to learn. You'll do anything that anyone tells you to do. But that's where mm-hmm. power can be exploited. Because if people are saying, um, do this, do that, you, you'll do anything. You'll just do anything to make it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really difficult to know what's right and what's wrong. So I do think there's a lot of reform. I think that reform will come. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I, I like... You'd be free to cut this out, Madeline. Um, but it's just like it was—it just really resonated with me. As someone who trained at drama school, there's definitely like a method of whether this is good or bad is up to whoever. Um, but like they want to make a blank canvas so you can go out and work. Mm. Um, however, I think there's definitely a line as to when that stops being professional and when that maybe halts creativity. Um, and I think it's very hard for you to kind of work out the person you want to when you're young work out the person you want to be the kind of actor you want to be and like continue to to like soak up all of this knowledge and it's hard to question if it's like oh is this right are they are they wrong no uh, wait wait what yeah and I know that you had the same like experience um probably on a grander scale with the racism at Alra so where was that moment when you started to question that and notice that there was a problem Good question. I think, like, so Alra's obviously based in Wigan, for starters. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm born and raised in Manchester. I lived in a place called Old Trafford, which is really diverse. Went to a big inner city primary school. You know, every, literally every ethnicity was there. My yeah. friendship group alone, we had black, Asian, Sikh, uh, white, uh, Somali, you know, everything. We had so many different ethnicities and religions and cultures. And we just, as cliche as it sounds, we didn't see colour. Then I moved to a white area when I was 11. So I actually, for high school, I lived in West Yorkshire near Halifax. Wow. Um, and that was when like race and racism started to, you know, become, you know, I used to, I saw it and experienced it. And then going to Wigan, which is obviously, class is great in Manchester, but it's, it's nothing to do with Manchester Wigan. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's an all white town. It's a, I think it's a market town, I'm not sure, but it's an old yeah. fashioned backward town to be polite. And Alra's there because it's cheap, you know, it's cheap to have it there instead of Manchester. And actually, I was drawn to Alra North because I'm a proud northerner and I want to stay up north. And I'm close to home. I could just jump on a 20-minute train and come back to Manchester um, or go and see my mum. So I think I was drawn to to Alra North, but I think Wigan, you know, just walking around looking like me. For example, and I think this is quite sad, I must have gone out maybe four or five times. I probably count on one hand how many times I went out in those three years in Wigan. And I, I, you know, I was 18 when I went, so 18 to 21. And people only clocked, and I think a few people messaged me and said, oh, I realise now why you never came out. You know, I'm a big guy, 6'3". I look the way I look with my skin colour. We're a walking target out there. I knew this. I was street smart enough to know. Um, so the surroundings of, of the drama school were very dangerous, toxic. You know, we used to have run-ins. Um, with the we had a, we had a run-in with the EDL, me and my friend, where they were protesting there once. Um, they came you know, racially abused us, and the police saw it all. And then me and my friend, big we play pool a lot. Uh, he's a black guy. We used to play at a pub down the road from us, and 
it was like our local. We didn't drink in there. We used to just go and play pool. And the amount of racist shit that we had in there, it was crazy. Someone came up to us once and said, whites only. Um, I remember what he said. He said, I, I like Nelson Mandela, but I don't like his offspring. Um, all sorts of crazy shit. You used to get stared at, all sorts. So it was a real racist, toxic environment of, of, of Wigan, at least, anyway. Um, so I knew straight away that, well, this was just where the drama school is. So it is what it is. I, you know, on the weekend, I just go back to Manchester. You're in school all day and then you go back to your flat for your accommodation. So I did I did notice basically straight away, probably before I even started the drama school, I knew what, what environment I was going into. I was street smart enough and experienced enough, even at 18, to know where, when there's not diversity that there can be an issue in certain towns. Not all towns. You know, you can go to Hull, for example. Hull's a predominantly white area. Hull's great. The people in Hull are amazing. I've not experienced racism in Hull. It might be the areas I've stayed in while I was working there and stuff, but on a whole, even walking on the city, it's a you know it's a good vibe. Um, so places do give you a, a, a you can get an inkling from certain areas. So I noticed very quickly that the environment we were living in was going to be toxic. And like I said, it's grim that I just never went out. I remember when I did go out, you just feel eyes on you and you just think this ain't safe. This ain't safe. I'm not scared, but I'm not getting attacked because of my skin colour. Do you know what I mean? So when everyone else was kind of young and carefree going out partying. I had to, if I was out in Wigan, I'd have one eye on, you know, on safety instead of just being able to get drunk and enjoy myself or make a fool of myself and enjoy myself. If I'm out in Manchester, I know I'm safe. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I think that probably the environment of the actual area was the first thing that made me realise, oh, this is, this could be um, difficult. And do you think, like the the geographical location did you feel that kind of trickling into the in institution itself um maybe that the the surroundings of the school led to that behavior inside the walls maybe no i mean good question you you could that could be an excuse or a reason behind why it was riddled with racism in the school but it wasn't and and when i found out and i connected with the people from our south London, one of the most diverse cities in the world, it made me think, oh, okay, this is deep-rooted, institutionalised. It's nothing, institutional, yeah. you know what I mean? It's nothing yeah. to do with the area. And that's what makes it more shocking to me is you've got a drama school in a, a let's say a racist town. I don't want to say a racist town, where racism is an issue, mm. or diversity is an issue, let's say. And it's a liberal, forward-thinking, creative, you've got lots of kind of middle-class kids and middle-class teachers teaching in a drama school, you'd think racism would be that one of the last things that you've experienced in, in a place like that, in a drama school. Um, but I've said it before, on record loads, the worst racism I've ever experienced um, was at drama school, in a, in a safe space. It was just so deep-rooted. And I think most people probably feel the same. And I've had overt racism. Like I said, some of the stuff that happened outside in Wigan and other areas that I've been in, and, and experiences I've had, it overt racism doesn't touch you as much as deep rooted institutionalized because it's 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 to its core, it's it's insidious, it's poisonous, it's just it's so and when you're young as well, you put your trust in these, you know, adults, professionals who are there to teach you. Some people are paying nine grand a year to be there. You know, I think if I was paying money, obviously, like I said to you before, I was on a scholarship. So but if I'd actually paid money to have that experience, oh my God, I probably would be a different person today. Um, because of how much the, the you know the racism affected all of us, um, and I can speak for my friends as well. Uh, well, I can't speak for them because um, they had a different experience, but we all had a shared collective experience of wow. We knew we were the minority in Wigan. We also knew we were the minority in the school. You know, there was three or two black kids in each year in a in a class in a year full of thirty people. I don't think that's great. Um, mm. You know, a girl put something up in June. I absolutely shut her down. I was on, I was on smoke at the time. She, she said, I've heard lots of stuff about um, drama schools not being diverse. So it's safe to say I go to one of the most diverse, open-minded, brilliant, safe drama schools in the country. And then um, it was talking about Alra North. So I just sent her a picture of her current third years, um, a big group photo of them. I said, does this look diverse to you? And it was literally all white, apart from one student. And I said, come on, like, don't insult us who've been there. 
that school isn't diverse. That school's got a long way to go. And so do so does every drama school. Mm. You know, yeah. It, it's been clear after June and the, the the Black Lives Matter movement exploding that all these drama schools are the same. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was just us. In fact, I thought it was even subject, um, subjected to Alwa North. I didn't realise that that was going on in the South. So it's happening mm-hmm. apo- across two campuses. You know, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's so interesting that, you know, um, th- that excuse could be brought up, you know. Um, it was in Wigan, you know, a very a town that is all white. It's got, But no, you know, it's all been uncovered that it was Alwa South. It's been top top London schools that have been going for generations and it's clear Mm. it's a systemic um a problem in institutions I mean someone from I think it was central he said he didn't want to bring in too many black kids because it would dilute the quality of the school or something yeah Gavin Williams I think his name was might be wrong I might quote his name wrong he's left now yeah I thought uh, so I thought I saw that in the news that he um, he pulled his retirement forward but he he was retiring anyway so he just pulled it forward. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely systemic and widespread. It was widespread, should I say. You know, yeah. at that age, 18, 19, I, when my personal incident happened, I was 19. I was in second year and we'd been partnered with our um, film scene partners for third year. So it's quite an exciting time. Like, oh, who are we getting partnered with? And da, 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 mm-hmm. To film our showreel scenes. And the girl who got partnered with me and my friend, who's black, um, came up to me and said I'm not happy to be working on screen with two black men there's only three in a year why have I got to work with two of you as if we were like a burden um, and she was just she was crying she actually cried about having to work on screen with two black men um, so my face was just I was gobsmacked I couldn't believe it I wasn't even angry I was just shocked I was like that's mad like that's crazy what she's saying and then obviously I spoke to her I was very kind of measured chilled about it to start with just like this is weird what you know what do you mean can you can you articulate it a bit better da, 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 da. um she didn't continue to say I'm just not happy to work with two black men da, 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 da. and then it was just a response from the school that changed everything changed it all you know what I mean for them to turn around and say what she said wasn't racist I couldn't believe and I think that's when I lost my head and and I've always been a fighter anyway so I was always going to challenge it I challenged it then um, my family have got a history, like my mum's side of the family have got a history of, you know, law. And my granddad used to always go to tribunals and fight cases, like they fight for the people, they fight for their for themselves as well. Like whether it's an employment issue or ethical issue or whatever it may be. So, you know, I had good support behind me, but it was just like, it was seen as radical at the time. And this, again, it comes down to the power structures of drama schools. You're there, you're supposed to be grateful for being there. You're lucky. Thousands of people audition yeah. every year. Um, thousands, and you're the lucky 30 people who are here. You should be grateful. Da, 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 da. So to speak out and go against the the school or the, the leadership or your, your head of year or whatever is like a bold move. So I did it because, you know, I could not stand what they were saying. And, yeah, the response was just shocking. And the way they targeted me for speaking out they tried to kick me out um it was just mad it was the whole thing was mad it's just horrendous like there's there's no other word for it and it just uh, like it's horrible to hear and like it's horrible to hear you be so self-aware about it as well because obviously you've had this time to reflect on it you you are someone who challenges all these things that happen um and you're self-aware enough to realize you know observe the world the world around you so with that in mind, what kind of active steps do you think need to be taken in drama schools for all of this toxicity and systemic racism to be pushed out? I mean, a bit, a lot of steps. To, 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 before I answer that question, just to say, I realised, I said this to my mum actually a while ago, I realised how much it had affected me last 2019 summer because when I got to third year, I nearly dropped out. I was depressed, never had depression before. And I only realised a while later that I was depressed for maybe six or seven months uh, because of it. Um, I got to third year and I I wanted to succeed. Do you know what I mean? All the years of, you know, learning and studying and being a student and GCSEs and everything, you know, everything that I'd done up to that point. But I can't lose 
because of this racism and because of the way the school treated me or the way the school treat my friends and the way they've handled the situation. Blah, 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 blah. So I got, kind of got into this mode and this mindset of, right, I'm going to kill them with success. I'm going to get to the top. And when I get to the top, I'll expose them. So that was my drive. That was my only drive. So every audition, every job I ever went for, every bigger job I did, you know, I spoke about it in the industry. Everyone who's worked with me knows. I, I, I tell them about my experiences there. You know, I, wouldn't, I almost wouldn't stop going on about it because it was like, I thought, yeah, I had to compute it, break it down in my head what had gone on. And when I realised that it has deeply affected me and that I need, it needed to be solved and dealt with, was 2019 when I was doing Up and Under. Sun shining, it's summertime, and one of the lads who was in the show trained at Alra South years ago. And I was a bit like, ooh, about it, because I was like, oh, shit, Alra connection. Da, da, da. And he's on the board at Alra. And I remember speaking to him about it in the rehearsal room, about my incident and my experience at the school. And I think he said something along the lines of, well, you'll have to be careful, you know, when you, when you do expose them, because they could sue you for libel. You know, there's like stupid libel laws. And when he said that, it really pissed me off. You know, I remember walking on my lunch break really angry and just like, I felt like I was in this show and it was it was all coming back to me, this anger and this kind of like, there's an injustice that's not being dealt with and I'm just here. Like, it was just really getting to me. And that whole day I was in a really bad mood and we went around to John Gobber's house for a barbecue and I was just sat there kind of bubbling up with anger, just thinking just thinking about it, to be honest with you, and just, just being in, in, in contact in, in that show with someone who had connections to Aura, that alone triggered me to the point of, like, this, this is still unsolved, not being dealt with. Um, see, that was my drive for four or five years. That was my drive to just expose, 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 and get to the top of my career. But the fact that it came out the way it did last year, I'm so grateful for, um, and it needed to happen. And it's actually implemented change. It's amazing. I think to answer your question of how do we actually start to break down racism in these schools, it's very simple. You take the problem out. So any teacher, any staff member who has any sort of views like that, they cannot be there. So we were very clear in our campaign or whatever you want to call it, we were very clear there needs to be an overhaul in the leadership. We're not going to stop pushing for that. Um, we went straight for the neck. We weren't being polite about it. We weren't beating around the bush. If there's someone in your school who's a sex offender, you're not going to say, how do we work around, um, you know, having consent? And, you know, they can't be there. They've got to come out. It's as simple as that. Anyone who's abusing the power, anyone who's got any sort of racist views or racist ideologies or backward views, they've got, got to be out of that school. So that's the only way. And then it's who you're replacing them with, who, who you're hiring. There's got to be kind of real conversation about the people you're hiring because they're in, in power, in control, if you like, of young, impressionable minds. And it trickles down. So not only are the, the staff and the principal, you head of voice or head of me or whoever, not only are they racist, it trickles down to your students. And people start coming up to you saying stuff like, oh, you only got Asian interest because you're black or you know, you're going to get loads of work because you're black or whatever, just those views start to spread across the whole, um, the whole institution. So it's clear, like, from what you've said that um, racism was brought up to the faculty at Alra quite a few times by plenty of students, um, too many students, really. Um, so, and there was no action taken at all. Um, so at what point did you feel um, that it was the right time with your peers to write the the, um, the letter to the school and um, how did you go about that? So the open letter um, birthed out of a phone call with a friend of mine called Shay who went to our north who had, which I've said in, on record again, had a far worse experience than me. You know, my incident was mad. It was wild. It was crazy. It's shocking comments, whatever. But the way he was treated and targeted for years, the whole, you know, the whole aggressive black man card was, you know, all sorts. He just had a horrible, horrible, horrible experience. So to see him come out of it the other end just absolutely fills my joy with heart because he's just a, he's such a legend. Um, but, um, yeah, so it came out of a phone call with Shay. Um, why don't we create this letter where we just quote, you know, a very simple but shocking quote. And it was there to shock. That was the whole purpose of it. So people see it on the page and go, oh my fucking God, wow, that's a lot of, 
bad, racist, horrible fucking comments that are coming out of all one school. So we connected with the South, with the students in the South. We were so organized for the whole of it. Uh, we connected with certain figures in the South and then people in the North. And we said, can you just send us in a quote? This is the plan, this is what we're gonna do. And we're gonna send it to the school internally. They'd already been in the press at this point. They'd already been in the media for, um, thankfully to the stage, by the way, who covered it so well from start to finish. Because Aura aren't one of your lead drama schools, so they could have really, they could have swerved this one. But through our tenacity and through our drive, we weren't going to let them get away with it. And when we'd realised that it wasn't just us in the North, me and my friends and my peers, it was the people in the South who trained at the same time as us, or before us or after us. So we put this open letter together. I think there was 13 people in, in, in total in the end. And it was a quote, the year they trained, we put the document together and we sent it to the school. And I said in the email, I said, please respond to this as a matter of urgency. We want to know what you're going to do. We put the questions to them. We, we said what we're asking for. Um, and we said, please respond as soon as possible. It took them nine weeks to respond. Nine weeks. Um, so we went public with it. We went public with it after eight weeks, I think. And they only responded once it had gone public. Um, so when I pressed send on that tweet, I was, my heart was racing because I thought, shit, what if this does it? What if this has passed? What if Black Lives Matter is not trendy anymore? What if the agenda's moved on? What if, you know, but these are still our experiences and we're still asking for something. We're still pushing for something. So I kind of thought, I was really nervous, but that tweet blew up. Got lots of kind of interactions and the industry was sharing it and seeing how shocking it was, which is what it was there to do. And then the media covered it, which was what we needed. We needed media coverage to apply pressure, but internally it was all crumbling and the pressure was mounting on the principal and on senior staff to step down or to leave or to be sat or whatever. Um, but the open letter was designed to shock and designed to highlight and ultimately to, to they were, it was a list of demands. We were, we were calling the shots. We were demanding that you get rid of these people for these reasons. So investigate and do what you've got to do and follow your procedures. But at the end of the day, this is what's going to happen because this is what's happened. Um, so we were so cutthroat with it and it was a tedious fucking experience it was so draining like I said acting last year was the last thing on my mind because it just took that whole situation took so much energy to go back and forth with meetings with the board you have to sit down with these fucking board members who are predominantly all white and if it wasn't for some of our, our allies on that board we would have got that outcome um, so the board you know, there has to be changes in boardrooms up and down the country in, in not just drama schools, in all institutions. Boardrooms are mostly made up of, you know, white uh, middle-aged men who are part of the problem and part of oppressive systems. Some are, not all. Um, so yeah, it was designed to shock and we had to, we had to make our demands. I think it's very clear that um, it did shock because um, I remember reading it when it first came out. It felt so real having all these stories one after one and it it felt just so intense and like I didn't even go through it but just hearing it one after the other um it was a lot and it's so out of all of it you managed to overhaul that that leadership like this is a success story um what was it like to kind of see the situation slowly turn and kind of get this media coverage what was that experience like to be honest with you it was First of all, like you said about the, how intense it was, it was intense. It was a lot to deal with. And some people aren't prepared to talk about it. So if you yeah. message some people in the open letter, they probably say, listen, I don't want to talk about it. I'm done. I'm leaving that behind. I kind of want to talk about it a little bit, not too much. I, I definitely mm. want to talk about it for much longer um, or in years to come type thing. But I also do because I want to show that you can have victories and I want it to be able to try and inspire people to go, look, if you get organised, if you ask for something or you demand something, if there has been an injustice, you can fight for justice and you can get it. And this is a very small injustice in the in the grand scheme of things. You know, you think about the, the families and the victims of Grenfell Tower or, or, or the family of Shukri Abdi or the family of Christopher Capasso or the family of Belly Majinga, the family of people who've had injustice or the family of Sarah Everard. You know, they're real injustices that they're, they're fighting against the state. That's a lot harder. But we were still fighting against an institution and I said to people around me, I said, listen, if we can't do this, if we can't get this overhaul, trust me, we can't do shit. We will not achieve anything. 
in in the in the fight for equality. We won't do it. Um, so it is a success story in the sense of there's steps to follow, and there's there's, there's certain methods you have to follow to be able to achieve it. Um, and in terms of the media coverage, every single step was thought out along the way. You know, I, I'm not even big on Twitter. I don't use Twitter that much. I enjoy it. I got told to get it by my agent to, speak, to use it for networking or whatever. Um, but it, it seemed that Twitter was probably the best platform to spread it and share it. And everyone can see it. And if someone retweets it, they all see it. And da, 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 da. So every step was thought out along the way. Um, and luckily, every step, it worked. You know, the, the tweets, we, need, we needed the tweets to get big engagements for the media to see it, to turn around and go, oh, well, look, that many people are engaging with this tweet, therefore it's worth our while to understand. We, we understand the game. It's also very in topic. It was a topical time. So timing was everything. You know, I was just going to personally try and expose it when I had a big enough platform to do so. But actually, like I said, the fact that we could all do it now when none of us have got a big platform, really, um, and we just turned to social media and we... Social media is a new form of media, and we had to use that to our advantage as young people who are on social media and go, right, okay, let's play the game a little bit. If we can get a few big retweets and engagements and da 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 um, the media will get onto it, and once the media are onto it, it just goes bigger and bigger. So um, when the media started covering it, it was like, okay, great, this is good. We need This is exposure. It's highlighting the issue on a bigger scale. Um, and people are starting to all turn their heads at the school and then there's pressure internally. You know, we need them. We needed them to feel the heat from the inside. We didn't speak to them. I didn't sit down and speak to the school for till a while, you know, apart from the board. Um, we needed them to feel the heat and, and to do that, we needed external pressure. Um, and it, it, was about, it was about timing. It is an incredible success story in that you're an activist in in so many different ways and um, in any case of injustice um you always like to be involved to share your opinions and encourage people to do the same um and it's just such there is such a bittersweet taste to this story the fact that it took the public heat as you were saying for the school to actually act um it was only you know oh, we might look bad to the public, what's this going to do to our reputation and not actually, what's this going to do to our students? Um, but yeah, one of one question we'd love to ask is, um, do you feel that your job as an actor and, and acting goes hand in hand with your activism? Do you know what? I, like the word activism, I would definitely now start to say I'm definitely more like I would own that label more or that title more than last year. Cause last year I wasn't, I didn't see myself as that. I was just fighting for my people and my friends and myself and my own fucking mental state of, I can't let a violation slide. So if there's an injustice, I'm going to call it out. Um, but I, I would say more so now, you know, the circles I'm mixing in, the people I've connected with in Manchester in like activist circles and different organizations that I'm involved in through what we were doing. I, I think it can go hand in hand. I, I do think um, it could potentially negatively impact your career, to be honest with you. Um, I think people who are outspoken are often seen as troublemakers or difficult or whatever, you know, which is wrong because people should be able to have opinions and share them, especially if it's on, you know, something that they find is an injustice. Or something that needs to change it whether it's in society or in in you know the industry or whatever it may be it can be seen as troublemaker so i do think and it remains to be seen whether that will impact my career negatively i don't think it i like to think it won't but you just never know so to say did I, do i think they go hand in hand probably not no just because i think to do like activism or whatever it's like almost it's very draining in sense of like it, it can be all consuming it can take over your mind. It can take over your day-to-day -day living because you're walking around and you're seeing things and you think this is wrong or that's wrong or this needs changing or, you know, homelessness, for example. You might see people on the streets think, we need to stop this. And then, you know, it's so, there's so many levels to it. Um, so I do think it can be all-consuming. So it's about picking your battles and it's about st still sticking to your guns and your morals. And then again, going back to the work thing, like we said about uh, I Can't Breathe, doing projects and work that you think is going to help tell certain people's stories. 
um, whether it's a marginalised group or not, whether it's just a story you think needs telling. Um, so I guess you can tie it into acting, but I don't think they go hand in hand. I know Maxine Peake and Julie Hesmental, who are obviously proud Northerners. Uh, I know they're very, very, very politically active, both of them, especially Maxine. Um, but they're also at very different levels in their career. Um, I'd love to sit down and chat to them, really, because I do think at this the level I'm at, it could hinder instead of help. Um, and if that's the case, and that's the case, you know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sway away from what I believe in my morals, my views. Um, but I will try and, you know, do both hand in hand, side by side, which I'm managing to do at the minute. Yeah. I think from, I remember reading an interview with John Boyega. You know, John Boyega is an amazing actor, accomplished within his own right. And he was worried that he was going to lose work based on his activism. And there's kind of this... Um, this fear that you know if you're a troublemaker you're going to lose work but what's amazing about what you and what you you've done is that you stick to your morals and you do the work that you want to do so going forward you know what do you want to achieve what would you like the, the world to look like for you creatively morally I definitely want to be back on stage I've got to work with the John Godber company again because I just absolutely that's just my safe happy place you know what I mean being on stage whether it's touring or working with them guys um, but then obviously I want to work all over the country. You know, while I'm still young, I want to tour. I remember when I signed my agent, they, one of the agents said, while you're young, tour, you know, before you have a family and settle down and all that, just get on the road. I love travelling. I've got a bit of a gypsy spirit in the sense of I just like to be on the road and find, you know, new places. I always like to come home and be in my base, but touring's great. Um, so I'd love to do some tours. I'd love to be on stage. I'd love to do less comedy and more more serious drama or maybe more Shakespeare. And then I'd love to start doing more camera work. You know, I've not really broke into the TV world. Um, my first ever job was on CBBC, but it was a pilot and it was live. Um, it was performed live to like a couple hundred kids and then the producers and everything. Um, and then I've done a few little short films and bits of camera work, but I've not done, I'm not broken into TV. And I know, I think that's, a, you know, a side of the game that I'd really like to crack. Because I think with TV comes more exposure and with more exposure comes more influence. And that's ultimately, you know, what I would like to be able to have. I, I still know I can have an influence with where I'm at now. Um, but the more influence, then great. I'm, I'm more than happy to take that pressure. And if I can influence positive change and speak for a group of people or a, a section of society, then that's what I'd like to be able to do 100% with that power and influence, yeah. It has been such um, a privilege to talk to you, honestly. Like, um, just, uh, and I, we do thank you for um, obviously reliving all that experience because, again, you know, it isn't easy to keep talking about it over and over again, but um, we really do appreciate um you coming on and sharing that with us um and it's just great to see all like the activism you do and i think you're a um an incredible role model um for people we can't thank you enough for sharing your time your experience and your talents and thank you so much it's been so inspiring and educational and just we're so grateful for your presence so thank you so it's a bye from me bye and it's a bye from me bye